Hello and welcome to the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. I'm Marcus Alley and joining me as always after a busy morning is Michael Gillett. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Ready for the second podcast. Enjoyed last week and uh, looking forward to going again. Excellent, excellent. Right then, let's get on with it. So to kick off the pod this week, there's been some big news coming out and, well, big compared to what we've been used to these last few months anyway. And that is that there's going to be a little um, change and adjustment to the way that the ATP rankings are being done due to due to the break, obviously, as well. Um, one of the main things I, I took from it is that they're going to um, change the sort of cycle um, that they have in the rankings to 22 months rather than 12, running from March last year and concluding in December of this year. Is there um, anything you, else you'd like to add and what, what you took from the announcement, Michael? Yeah, so how it currently works is that the ranking points work by your best 18 performances over the last 52 weeks, so that's one year. Um, but to counter, uh, to fight the break that we've had, they're now running it from March 2019 to December 2020, meaning that if players don't feel safe playing you know, over the next few months, they won't actually lose any of the points they've already earned because it will still be within the time frame. Yeah, and um, you can't you can't double up your points on the, on the same tournament. Obviously, they they've sort of uh, put that in there to make sure players can't play the system to sort of gain an advantage on on other players. I mean, who knows what the sort of climate is going to be like? With some players going to be more eager to get back playing than others, but I think what what they have put out does does make it fairer and um, yeah, should certainly suit suit most of the players moving forward. Yeah, agreed. And it's going to be very interesting to see how certain players do play. We know someone like Rafael Nadal uh, has had a lot of injuries in his career, so he might not be the most willing to want to be playing five, six weeks in a row, as we're going to talk about the calendar a bit later on. But as the Madrid Masters is coming up, and he won the Madrid Masters last year, there's actually no pressure on him to play this year's Madrid because... Even if he doesn't win it, he'll still maintain the points from winning it last year. So he, he's not going to gain anything by playing Madrid anyway in terms of points. Yeah, so I think we might see certain dips and um, and spikes in players' motivation depending on, on certain events, which I don't know, might be a bit more un- unpredictable, but I'm sure we're going to get some good tennis once it gets up and running. Anyway, obviously last week we spoke in depth about Battle of the Brits tournament and um, a lot of the players, mainly the lower ranked ones, but including one top 100 player has been keeping themselves ticking over um, uh, this week. And uh, Cameron Norrie ended up ended up winning a tournament, beating exciting young player Paul Jubb in the final. Um, what, what was your take on, on that event, Michael? Yeah, so it's uh, the British Tour, which is running from the 3rd to the 26th of July. Uh, and there's going to be four events uh, played at the National Tennis Centre. I think it's very much similar to what they've been doing in in Germany, where there was the event last week, and then this week they'll basically be the same event again with the same 16 players, and they'll just have another tournament. Um, But there's a lot lower-ranked players in this one than there was in the Battle of the Brits, which was obviously the the top eight-ranked players in Britain, uh, give or take, because of a couple of injuries. 
But in this one, you've got a lot of quite young players playing. You've got um, Anton Matusevic, who uh, won the 2018 US Open Boys uh, Tournament, and he's 19 years old, and he's ranked uh, just outside the world's top 500. Um, but yeah, Nori is by far the highest-ranked player in the tournament. He is 77th in the world. Paul Jubb is the next highest ranked to his 519th. So I think there's quite a lot of pressure on Cameron Laurie uh, to be playing in this British Tour because really he should be winning every match quite easily. But um, I think the the tournaments uh, that they're running are a really good thing to do because players like sort of Anton Matusevic, you've got names like Aidan McHugh in there, um, who are very much ITF. Uh, futures players but because all of the tennis has been cancelled you know they, they're not having the chance to play and a lot of them are young and they're going to be missing a big part of the most important part of their career uh, as they develop so I think this is really good to see uh, some young players getting some tennis. Yeah definitely I, I mean I, I echo your thoughts on that it is such a key stage for, for a tennis player, just looking to sort of make those first inroads up the rankings. Um, yeah, I also didn't know about uh, Matusevic winning the US Open boys, so that's a, that's a good uh, nugget for the listeners, maybe someone to look out for on a hard court in particular. Um, just moving forward one day, exactly one month and one day, is going to be the, the day that we've been waiting a long time for, and that is the ATP Tour resuming, and it's going to kick off with um, the 500 tournament in Washington on the 14th of August. I mean, it was a bit of a, a belter last year. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, Kyrgios beat Medvedev in the final and had a a, a, a entertaining tussle with, with Nadal um, in, in the earlier rounds. Um, have you got any uh, good memories of that tournament, Michael? And uh, yeah, it's all going to be kicking off in America and obviously progressing towards towards that US Open on the 31st. Uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited, obviously, for the return of tennis. It's been a long time, and there is a lot of, of big tournaments getting jam-packed into little over a month. Uh, as you say, we kick off in Washington, which uh, Kyrgios is the reigning champion of. Uh, whether we'll see him playing this year, not sure, because obviously we've spoken about the ranking system and there's no pressure on him to play it. Um, and then, obviously... We go on to the Cincinnati Masters, which Medvedev won last year, straight on to the US Open. And then after the US Open, you have got a little week's break uh, with uh, Kitzbehel, uh, the 250 played. And then after that, you've got Madrid Masters, Rome Masters and French Open in the space of about four weeks. So it's going to be very demanding on players, especially um, those more senior players. Uh, we've already mentioned Nadal. Um, who's had a lot of injuries in his past. Um, but, you know, he, he he has three titles in over these tournaments coming, US Open, Rome Masters and the French Open. But as we've said, he hasn't actually got any pressure to play them. So it might be that, as you said earlier, we see some players cherry-picking which tournaments they play and, and resting up a little bit, But but maybe... Someone like Nadal is desperate to get back and maybe we do see him playing quite a bit. 
Yeah, I've, I just got a little confused there actually as well. Kyrgios beating uh, Nadal, that was at um, Acapulco early in the year. But he did go on to, to win that Washington title, obviously coming back and yeah, producing a, a really good week there this time, well, around this time last year. Um, just, yeah, obviously we'd all love to see Kyrgios and Nadal sort of battle it out during that little hard court swing building up to the US Open. I'm sure, you know, Kyrgios is, is, is going to get plenty, going to continue to get, um, Kyrgios is going to continue to get the viewers in, um, which which he always does, just just uh, his style and and his on on court antics. And yeah, personally as a as a fan of clay court tennis, I am really looking forward to that that quick clay court swing after the U.S. Open. And yeah, all in all in build up to to the French towards towards the back end of September. Um, so yeah, just, I mean, just looking at that calendar, Michael. Obviously, people are going to look towards the U.S. Open and the French Open, but do you have any other good memories of, like you mentioned, Medvedev winning Cincinnati last year, or those just those specific tournaments as a whole? Well, I think for those people listening that might not watch uh, any other tennis tournaments rather than uh, other than the Grand Slams, you know, events like Madrid Masters, Rome Masters, um, and Cincinnati, all of the Masters tournaments, they can really throw up some Surprises, Medvedev won the Cincinnati Masters last year. Um, at the Madrid Masters last year, Djokovic won it, but he uh, beat Tsitsipas in the final. So we saw a really good week from Tsitsipas that week in Madrid, who beat Rafael Nadal last year in the semi-final, which was a huge win uh, to beat Nadal on clay. And Tsitsipas is obviously a really exciting young player who as we'll talk about a little bit later on, he's got quite a bit of pressure um, to get some points at the end of this year if he wants to re-qualify for the ATP finals. So it could be really interesting watching him come back to tournaments like Madrid and Rome. Um, Rome is is a tournament Nadal's quite dominant at, um, it being a clay court tournament. But yeah, I think... For those people who want to get their fix of tennis, it's certainly not just the US Open and the French Open coming up. There is tennis every week, even that one week that I mentioned. Uh, there's a bit of a smaller week. It's an ATP 250 tournament in Kitzbühel. Uh, if I, I hope I pronounced that right, in Austria. Even there, you had Dominic Team winning last year, who is, um, you know, been a top 10 player for a long time now, nearly won the Australian Open. So you there's a lot of chances to see big players coming up over the next few weeks and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, Kits Buell, I think, mate. So, unlucky on that one. Yeah, Kits um, But yeah, just moving on to another thing that I'm sure we're going to speak about a lot in the future and uh, we're building the excitement for a lot of tennis fans is the race to London and the way it's shaping up. I mean, we're... We're waiting for an announcement, which we're expecting in in the next week or so from the ATP as to sort of how and and when that's going to take place with the new the new normal. Um, so yeah, I mean, just looking at looking at the uh, the singles race and um, compared to the the uh, current rankings, it does look quite different. And there's some different faces in the in there than the usual shakeup. Yeah, so um, just to explain for those listening who who don't know. The Race to London rankings work slightly different to the normal rankings. The Race to London is points have, that have been picked up in this calendar year. So this is points that have been picked up from 
the 1st of January, so it doesn't count anything at all from last year. And um, yeah, it, definitely some new faces in there. Um, Djokovic is comfortably winning this race. Obviously, he won the only Grand Slam that's been played this year in Australia. Um, so he's looking good to make his 13th um, year-end tournament. Uh, but then you've also got Gar Monfils, who we spoke a bit about last week, who he's having a brilliant year. Um, certainly not a new player, been around for a long time. But um, he's only actually ever qualified for the year-end event once, which I think would surprise people quite a bit. Uh, this was in 2016, and he lost two matches, and he ended up pulling out injured. So people would be really interested to see him play. Um, at number five on the race to London, you've got Andrei Rublev, who's a Russian player uh, people might not know a lot about yet. He's only 22, uh, never played at a year-end finals event before, so uh, it'd be really good. And uh, we spoke about Christian Garin last week, who's at number six, much much more of a clay court player, so he's going to have to back up his earlier results in the year and take them onto the hard courts, which are coming up. But of course, he has got Madrid Masters and Rome Masters if he needs to get the points on the clay. So yeah, I agree with what you say. Um, definitely some new names. Federer at the moment is ninth and it's a top eight qualifier for it. So potentially we might not see Federer at the ATP finals at the end of the year. And just to stat here, uh, he's played the tournament 17 times and he's only ever missed it once since 2002. So that will be massive, massive news if Federer doesn't pick up some points towards the end of this year and, and qualify. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be, be working hard to do that. To be fair, I don't have that many great memories of Federer at the ATP Tour Finals in, in recent years anyway. Um, typically being, being sort of Djokovic hoovering up before, obviously we saw the young guns come through the likes of Sverev and Tsitsipas in the last couple of years. Another name that just um, stuck out for me, um, if, I, if memory serves me correctly, wasn't in the top 50 really before this year. Casper uh, Ruud, the 21-year-old, he's 36 in the current rankings, but all the way up to 13 in, in the year-to-date uh, race for London um, events. And obviously with that clay court swing, he is, a, he is a clay court specialist. Obviously, we can't sort of categorise him as that just at 21 years old, but hopefully we can see, see more from him in, in the next month or so. Yeah, he's currently tied on 540 points with uh, Stamrav Rinka, who has played the Tour End event four times, obviously a three-time Grand Slam winner. Three-time? Yeah, three-time Grand Slam winner. Um, and yeah, also a couple of just last interesting things on that list. At 15, you've got Daniel Medvedev, who qualified for it last year. Had a really good end of last year, um, but he's really not had a brilliant start to 2020 in the tennis that we did play. Uh, and he's 10 points behind Dusan Lajevic, uh, or Lajevic from Serbia, who's on 490 points. So he's a bit of an outsider to get there, but uh, that would also be a really big name if he could qualify. Yeah, and also from a from a British perspective, obviously, Dan Evans having was having a career season, you'd have to say, and obviously strutted his stuff in the Battle of the Brits. I'm sure he got uh, a lot of satisfaction out of being re-crowning himself as British number one, I suppose, in that tournament. He's at 11 
in the rankings. Could you see him making that stretch and maybe getting getting to the final eight? Possibly. He's been playing very good tennis. He played very good tennis at uh, the Battle of the Brits. He's only 200 points off of qualifying. He's 200 points behind Sitsipas, who obviously won it last year. Um, whether Evans will qualify or not is going to really depend on how he does. Overall, there's, there's a lot of clay court tournaments still to come with Madrid, Rome and the French and Dan Evans is is not a clay court specialist. It's definitely his weakest surface. So he might really have to compensate for some lost points. Uh, later on in the year, he might really have to compensate and do some good performances at Washington, Cincinnati in the US. But um, it would be brilliant to see Dan Evans qualify for it because obviously we've always known Andy Murray qualifying for it when he's at his best. But um, of recent years, we, we haven't, since player like Tim Hemman, we haven't really had anyone else challenging in the top sort of 10. So it would be really great to see Dan Evans play at that event with, with the world's best. Yeah, I think he's going to have to go really big on the US Open to stand stand the chance of getting in, maybe reminiscent of Carl Edmund's semi at, at the Australian Open, something like that. It's, if he is going to have a chance because of that clay court swing that we see towards um, towards the back end. Just another player that... Um, I got, well, just like, I'd like to comment on it's been so good to watch this year. Andre Rublev, after struggling with injury problems a little bit, show clear potential and then ended up falling out of the top 100. And obviously, since the start of this year and towards the back end of last year, just proving the real force he can be. Probably the number one Russian player by the end of the year. Um, if he could, yeah, he could, he could leapfrog Medvedev and Karen Hatchinov in that. Um, so, yeah, just, just a word on Rublev. I mean, yeah, yeah. favourite players to, to watch. And, um, it's interesting when you say Karen Hatchinoff because he's not even he's not even in my top 16 at the moment for the race to London, so I couldn't even tell you where he is in it. But that's quite a surprise in my eyes because he's really looked like someone who, who could be up and in that mix by this point. Yeah, sort of... Um... Showcased his stuff beating Djokovic, I think it was in the final of a Masters a couple of years ago. I think it might have been Paris, one towards the end of the year. Um, but yeah, just a really inconsistent player for me, Hatchinov. Um, he has those runs where he goes back up to push the top 10 and then just starts to fall away towards the, the, the sort of 20s mark. Um, I never really noticed it. Sorry? Sorry, no, you, you carry on. Sorry. It's still got, still got age on his side, obviously. Um, and, and great weapons, great serve and yeah, powerful forehand. Um, so yeah, just another one of those young players slipping away again, which goes back to our, one of our original points from last week that just, yeah, hopefully the break could could benefit them more than it, than it will the, the older players. For sure, yeah. And just uh, another player that I did want to mention, obviously Nick Kyrgios, been a lot of talk about him at the beginning of the year, was a big name the Australian Open, where he uh, went out to Nadal, uh, played well the, the week previous uh, in the ATP Cup, but he's down at 33rd uh, and not even that really close to, to qualifying. And I, I was going to ask you, Marcus, actually, there's so much talk about Nick Kyrgios. We all agree that he's got the potential to, to win big titles if he uses it, but do you think we could ever see Nick Kyrgios qualifying for an ATP Tour Spinal as a consistently good top eight player over a year? 
Um, the way you put that question, I'd say no. As a consistently good player, I'd say no. However, I could see him qualifying by just slamming in a final appearance at Wimbledon and then winning a couple of Masters or something like that. I couldn't see if, if you win if you win a Grand Slam or a couple of Masters, you're pretty much nailed on to qualify, regardless of how well you do. So yeah, yeah. So not someone reaching semi-finals and finals every week, every two weeks. No, I can't. But someone that could force their way in, maybe as a number five or six, by doing really well at two or three tournaments, that'd be the way that I'd see him in making his way into it. I think it would be a massive shame if we never see Nick Kyrgios play at an ATP World Tour Finals. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to watch seeing him play sort of every other day. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that would... <laughs> I've already said it, but yeah, really get, get the viewing figures up. Anyway, that's a, I think that's a good place to finish on the race to London. We'll have more details on that next week, hopefully, on the, yeah, there's just sort of how it's going to work. The, maybe they'll change the format or spread it out more or um yeah we'll just have to have to see keep your eyes peeled on the uh, the ATP media info for the next section of the pod we're going to be profiling an up and coming player maybe that not the everyday tennis fan would have heard of and yeah just someone to look out for uh, so who have you got this week michael so i've gone for Arguably one of the most exciting teenagers there is at the moment. Uh, he's called Yannick Sinner uh, and he's from Italy. He's only 18 years old. Uh, he's currently ranked 73rd in the world, but he's uh, been a, a career high of 68 earlier in this year. Uh, he won the Next Gen Finals last year. And for those who don't know, the Next Gen Finals are similar to the ATP Finals that we've just talked about, but they're for the eight best players who are aged 21 or under. Uh, So that was a really big achievement for him to win that at 18 years old and really indicates he could be one to watch out for. He's coached by Ricardo Piatti, who has worked before with Djokovic. Um, Ivan Lubatic, who's a big player, retired about maybe seven or eight years ago. And uh, he's also worked with Richard Gasquet. So definitely an experienced coach and could be someone who could point Yannick Sinner in in a good direction. And I was um, reading something quite interesting about Sinner the other day. And he uh, didn't actually focus on tennis until he was 13 years old. And that's only four years before he won the next-gen finals because he was actually, he was 17 when he won that. So um, I think that's really interesting. He's gone a long way very, very quickly, which really shows uh, how how determined he could be. Um, This year, he's had uh, a win over... Gail Monfils, he's beaten David Goffin before in Rotterdam. Uh, sorry, that was earlier this year. He beat David Goffin in Rotterdam, who was uh, ranked in the top 10 at the time. Um, and also a very interesting thing, see what you think of this, Marcus. Um, very interesting thing about Yannick Sinner is he never, ever played one of the junior slams at... Uh, well, yeah, never played a junior Australian, French Open, Wimbledon or US. And it's very interesting to think about whether that is a sensible route for players because so often now we see 
the winners of the junior slams and we never really hear of them again. So I'm wondering if maybe not playing the junior slams and just focusing on getting into men's tennis quicker, which he has done. I think he won a challenger tournament when he was, I want to say 16, but I could be wrong. He could have been 17. Um, do, do you think that's the way forward for juniors? Um, I mean, I, I'm used to only hearing of ju- players I've done well at juniors who haven't transferred it. Um, so maybe that sort of clouds my, my viewing on that. But yeah, I mean, Felix Auger-Eliassime, who we spoke about last week, he won his first challenger at 16. Um, and obviously just outside the world's top 10 now. Um, but yeah, I was just going to add on Sinner. Just, it was a real shock, really, how he burst onto the scene last year, just finishing the year so strong. He sort of came out of nowhere. I think he was definitely one of the lowest-ranked players in that next-gen finals and then just came through to win it, beating Alex Di Menor in the final. Um, if I remember correctly, he obviously has proved himself on the main tour. And yeah, Sinner just came through as a, a real wild card in that. He's definitely someone that, yeah, that I'm very excited about. I'd be happy to say, you know, I'd be... a very surprised. Obviously, it's very early, but if we don't see him get into the world's top 10. For sure. Uh, just moving on to someone that I'd like to uh, shed some light on. Um, not possibly at, with as high of a potential as Sinner. I'd say this guy's a more of a sort of top 30 region um, player in the next few years. But anyway, it's Kwon Soon Woo from South Korea. Uh, 22-year-old. He's actually higher than Sinner in the rankings at 70, um, 69 being being his career high. So it's just sort of fluctuated around there um, before before the season was suspended. Uh, he en- didn't enter the top 100 until August 2019. So he's been gradually gradually progressing, um, but he's also just been quite consistent. Uh, he's quite a small guy. Well, not a small guy, but not a, not a massive survey. He's, he's under six foot. Um, he's got to five. Uh, ATP Tour quarterfinals this year. Uh, that was in Los Cabos, Delray Beach, New York, Pude, and Acapulco. Now I read it, I'm pretty sure they're all hard courts. Um, yeah, right hander, really good energy, really good runner. Um, yeah, just quite crisp um, the way the way he strikes the ball. Uh, he's had good wins over Dusan Lajovic, Milos Raonic being the pick of the bunch this year, and also took Nikolas Bazilashvili to a to a fifth set. Uh, in the Australian Open, so he's he's shown that he's got potential to be able to do it in the in the sort of five set games. Um, so yeah, I mean, not one of the names that's going to stand out, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear most about on the uh, on TV. Um, but yeah, I think Kwon Soon Woo could definitely be one of those players to sneak into that top thirty, maybe even higher um, in years to come. Yeah, I think you never really know with these young players. You, you say that he might not be one of the, the ones like Sinner who, who maybe get talked about a little bit more, but you never know. Maybe he could find some form. You said there that I think you said five quarterfinals already this year, and I think that shows a really good level of consistency, which is something that young players seem to struggle with quite a lot at the moment. Uh, when we talk about trying to dethrone the, the big three, such as, uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer we really miss these youngsters that actually can show week in week out they've got it, we we have a lot of youngsters who will win a tournament one week and, and not really do anything for a few weeks after that so 
I think that's a really promising stat that you came out with there, just showing that maybe he, he isn't the most glamorous of young players, but if he can consistently win matches, then, then he should be able to get somewhere. Awesome. There's another couple of players to add to the list from last week to keep your eyes peeled on once the season gets back and going. That's Kwon Soon Wu and Yannick Sinner. Moving on to the final segment of today's show. It's going to be another bit of trivia. Guess the player. Um, yeah, me and Michael put together a list of five clues. Uh, maybe more if you're feeling generous. And uh, just read them out one by one and see who can guess the player the quickest. Um, I, think, I think I asked you the player first last week. So let's, let's switch that around. Do you want to, you want to start rattling off your clues? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've actually got six clues. Uh, I think it could be quite hard. So, yeah, I'll give you six. Uh, first clue, you're nice and simple. I'm 28 years old. Um, I don't know why I think too much into it. Uh, let's just go for Adrian Marinarino. Oh, my God, I can't believe you've got it. No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, you you didn't get it just on age. Uh, second clue. I'm the second highest ranked player from my nation. Well, I like how you've left, left out the country. Um, 28 second highest ranked. Let's go for Filip Krajinovic. No. Good guess, though. I like that. Clue number three, in terms of playing Grand Slams and tour level events, I'm arguably the more established player from my country, more established than the man who is ranked eight places higher than me in 76. Okay. Oh, so I reckon this 76 guy is a bit of a consistent challenger. He's just about props up his ranking and we've got someone that actually participates on the main tour and my quite an obscure nation and 76 and 84 what weird European country oh okay right then let's go for Mikhail Kukushkin that is not correct another good guess though uh, clue four I've played in every single Grand Slam since Wimbledon 2017 with a fourth round at the Australian Open in 2018, being my best performance. Here, I lost to Federer in straight sets. I don't know, that doesn't make it much clearer for me. Um, but it shows that he's consistent. Aliash Bedene. No. Uh, clue five. My career high is 31st, and I have one title which came in Geneva 2018. So that's one ATP tour. Just clay that, I think. Yeah, it is a clay court tournament. Ricard Asperankis, that's definitely wrong. Um, my mind's blank. I'm not sure what Lithuanian is ranked higher. I don't know. Uh, no, no, now clue number six should give it away. Uh, I am from Hungary. Yes, Marton Fucevic. It is, and could you tell me who the player is ranked eight places higher? Uh, I mean, I should be able to. Is it Attila Balaz? 
It is Attila Balas, who has never played in the main draw of a Grand Slam, and he's eight <laughs> places higher than his compatriot, Fuksovic, who has played in every single Grand Slam since Wimbledon 2017. I like that in-depth research. Yeah, Balas got to like a 250 or a 50 final. Love. Yeah, I think, didn't he win? No, I don't think he won one. He He's done just very well on Challenger. It was when you said that, I think... Uh, you were definitely on the right path. Oh, that was good. That uh, No, yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. I was just struggling to think of other European countries, to be honest. Did I say it was a European country, though? No, but I was just I just thought it would be. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, let's get started on my player. He's a little um, higher ranked, and I'm going to give his ranking away straight away. First question, uh, first clue, sorry. He's a world number 46, and he's got a two-handed backhand. There's really not much point in putting so much thought into this first one. I'm just trying to think of someone who's ranked 46, you say. Around 46. Go for Sam Query. Incorrect. The second clue. He's won 10 consecutive matches since returning for exhibition tennis. He's all in like the last three weeks. He's won 10 games in a row. He hasn't lost since coming back. I have followed some of the exhibition tennis, but there's been quite a lot going on in a lot of different countries. So I'm just thinking which event we're going to be looking at. Um, I know Hanfman has done very well out in Germany, but I'd be surprised if Hanfman was ranked as high as 46. Pretty sure he's not even in the top 100, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I know he's done very well in Germany, though. Um, I haven't followed the ones out in America as much, and I'm assuming it's going to be one out there. We go for Francis TFO. Good guess, but no. Um, so you've got world number 46, two-handed backhand, has won 10 consecutive matches since returning from exhibition tennis. Question um, clue three is he won the Antalya 250 last June. It's his only ATP main tour title. Laszlo Dejer? Good guess, but no. Um, he won. No, he won one title America. last year, but I can't remember what it was. He, he beat Felix in the final. I can't, can't remember what tournament it was. Uh, okay, question, clue four, not question four. He's the Italian number three. Okay, I think the Italian number one is Berrettini now. And Fonini is probably two. Fonini would have definitely more titles than one, so it's not going to be Fonini. Berrettini is definitely higher than 46, surely. Well, yeah, no, definitely, because he, he played in the... ATP finals last year as a replacement. So it's going to be the third highest ranked Italian. It's not going to be someone like Seppi because he would, he, or he definitely has, he's won Eastbourne before and I don't even know where he's ranked now. Um, I'm sure Thomas Fabiano is now outside the top 100. I think he's dropped a lot. I love it when you overcomplicate and just name loads of Italians that it isn't. <laughs> 
I know I'm missing one. I know I've got Caruso in my head, but he's surely not as high as 46. I'm sure he hasn't won a, an event either. I'm trying to think of young Italians. Well, it's not Yannick Sinner, because I've already said his ranking's 73rd. Go on, I'm just going to have to guess Caruso, but it isn't. <laughs> no, it's not. You've named a lot of Italians there, but not the right one. I'll say. <laughs> Last clue. His first name begins with L. So the clues are world number 46 with a two-handed backhand. He's won 10 consecutive matches since the exhibition since returning for exhibition. Uh, he won the Antalya 250 last June in 2019. Italian number three, and his first name begins with L. Is this the last clue? Yeah, this is the last clue. Oh, dear. I'm honestly stumped. I'm going to kick myself massively. Um... He's five. There's your little bonus. Say again, sorry. He's twenty-five. Okay. Oh. No, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna have to admit defeat. I can't think. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, glad. I'm glad you haven't. I've got some hours of daylight left. Um, what are you <laughs> <thinking> about that? <laughs> it is Lorenzo Sonego. Oh, of course, yeah. I had, because I was thinking of Italian names and I thought Lorenzo, and then I was wondering if I was thinking of, um, is it Paolo Lorenzi? No, what's Lorenzi? Yeah, 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 Paolo Lorenzi, yeah. And I was like, well, Paolo Lorenzi is definitely not 46. Oh, no, that's a good one. It's a good one. I, he's someone who kind of just has escaped my mind. That's all for this week. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully. With a player interview, there's a little nugget for you to get excited for. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're pushing for a, for a few at the moment, um, but yeah, we'll be back next week and hopefully hear some more news out of the tennis world. Thanks for listening.